welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray again for our time in the Word here. Father, we are immensely thankful for your love, uh, for your love of your people throughout the world, Lord, that you are calling to yourself sons and daughters from the ends of the earth. And we're just so thankful to have these relationships with people that we would not have known any other way except through you. We're so thankful for the communion of the saints, Lord, that we have this connection with the church abroad. And uh, we pray, Lord, that they would stir us up to send forth your gospel in this place, Lord. And we, we pray that they would be a, a power in our lives, reminding us of what's most important. And uh, Father, as we open your word, we pray you'd speak to us that you would um, make this passage alive to us. Your word is alive. We are dead to it often, but you can make us alive to it. And so we pray you would in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this morning's text is in James 1.27. If you guys want to take a look at it there, I think we'll have it on the screen too. And the text is this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That word religion, guys, is a controversial word, isn't it? At certain points in history, time of Jonathan Edwards, the 1700s, religion might have been a positive word. More lately, it's fallen on hard times. It's not a word that people think of as a positive word anymore. Um, one of the new atheists, uh, Christopher Hitchens, wrote a book several years ago called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And so that really gives you an idea of how our culture thinks of the word religion, that it poisons everything. It's common for people to, if you ask them, you know, if they're Christians or whatever, they might say that they're spiritual but not religious. That's a really common thing. You know, I'm spiritual but not religious. They're trying to stay away from that term religion. No one really wants to be seen as religious. So you might ask yourself, like, well, what does God think of religion? What is God's view of religion? And it depends, actually. Um, when you look through Scripture, there's both positive and negative connotations of religion. This is one of those passages where religion's being spoken of in a positive way. There's a certain kind of religion, guys, that God condemns. Not all religions are good religions. Uh, religion can be bad. There can be bad religion. As in this text, there can be a religion that's impure and defiled, right? That's the implication of this text. And guys, the most scathing critiques of bad religion have come not from the new atheists, but from God himself. In this book, you will see scathing critiques of bad religion. You guys read the prophets. The prophets are largely denouncing bad religion. Um, you look at the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus is denouncing bad religion constantly. So if you're, not a, if you're one of those people this morning that says, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious, and I asked you, well, what are your issues with religion? Chances are you'd find a lot of agreement in this book. A lot of the things you've seen that are ugly about religion, that are impure, that are defiled, are actually things that God himself has critiqued. There's never been a stronger critique of bad religion than, than Jesus, right? And the religious responded with nails, okay? The religious responded with nails. Jesus rebuked religious hypocrisy. He cleansed the temple of religious profiteers. He, he was killed by the most religious people of his day. Isn't that strange that when God comes in the flesh, the ones that had the strongest desire to kill him were the most religious people of that day? And so that tells us really strongly that there's a type of religion. I mean, if, if you come out on the side of killing the Messiah, 
you've pretty much blown the whole religion thing, right? You, somewhere you went wrong, right? If you killed God in the flesh, you're like, I don't think this went the right direction, right? And so what about good religion? Is there a kind of religion, a kind of devotion to God that is pure and undefiled? And James says yes, and he gives us two marks. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So pure religion is both helpful and holy. It's helpful and holy. You see the helpful part where he says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That word to visit, some of your translations might say care, concern, uh, seek them out, bring justice to them. You see the word orphan there. Some of your translations might say the fatherless, which fits very well with the cultural context of that time. Pure religion, the kind that God loves, is a life of helpful love to the fatherless and to widows. But pure religion is also holy, right? You see that at the end, to keep oneself unstained from the world. To live in such a way that you don't absorb the culture's evil ways and the idols of the culture. And I bet, guys, if you're, if you're not a Christian this morning and, and you're not for religion this morning and you hear that, you probably think that sounds actually pretty good. To follow Jesus as a kind of person who truly helps the most vulnerable and afflicted in society, and yet at the same time isn't ruined by the sinful values of your culture. You might hear that and you might go like, that sounds pretty good. Well, that is the religion that God loves. The problem is, is that we think we can be kind of half followers of Jesus, right? As a church and as individuals, we think we can be half followers. We can either be like holy only or helpful only. Those are two very common paths in our time. Um, the holy only approach, which is very hard to say, by the way, but I only have myself to blame for that. Um, you might think that holiness, guys, and being, like this passage says, unstained by the world, means you need to isolate yourself from the world. It's a very common approach in our valley is to say, you know, got to be holy, got to be unstained. So what I got to do is bunker down, isolate myself, maybe live kind of like monastic or live like a hermit kind of a thing. And, and you know, I got to protect my family from the influences of the world. So we're really going to just kind of throw the wall around our house, right? And that's one approach. A person that thinks that holiness means isolating myself and my family. And you could have a couple reasons for that. Um, one possible reason for that would be a sense of superiority. I'm going to get myself dirty by those people, right? That's a superior motive. But another motive that's, you know, a little more innocent is a fear motive. You know, I just, you know, you just don't trust the power of God to keep yourself and your family pure in an impure world unless you throw the wall up, put the moat out, put some alligators, you know, get some guns and just really bunker down, right? That's one approach. The problem is that with the holy only approach is that the people that James says that we need to be helpful to are by definition outside our homes. Okay, so orphans and widows, they by definition cannot be in your house, right? They're outside. The result is believers and families that live pretty moral, pretty unstained lives, but are no help to the fatherless and widows that we've been sent to. And this is core, guys, right? The other approach is the helpful only approach, and we see that a lot these days the helpful only approach, which is, you know, I'm kind of impatient with prayer and Bible study, and I don't get these worship gatherings. We need to get out there and do something. You know, we need to get out there and, and act. And I don't have time for this kind of thing. So you exchange things like prayer and fellowship and worship and study for action out in the world. The problem is those things are the fuel of holiness. 
And so with time, you know, as you're out there and you're trying to be helpful, the holiness fades, the connection to God, the abiding in Him, the, the having a heart set apart to Him, the continual prayer in Him, it fades. And the problem with that, guys, is the world doesn't need us. The world doesn't need you. The world needs God. The world does not need our presence. The world needs, world needs God's presence. The world needs the kingdom of God, the presence of God. And the presence and kingdom of God spreads through a holy people. A people that have their hearts. What I mean by holy is that you're set apart for him in your heart. That you treasure Christ in yourself. That you're relying on his power. Because, guys, you can't do the work of God without the power of God. Right? Without a heart that's been set apart to him, abiding in him, um, Connected to him. I feel so bad for her translating. I'm like the fastest talker ever. True religion that God himself loves is both holy and helpful. It's in this text, caring for the fatherless and widows. And you might be thinking like, oh, I get this. Social justice warrior. This is social gospel. You're, you're wanting to just kind of do a bunch of good works and kind of leave Christianity behind. People do that, guys, but that's not what we're talking about here. Certainly not what James is talking about. Guys, you realize that care for orphans and widows is one of the most common themes in the entire book you hold in front of you? You think about the law. There's tons of laws in the Old Testament law about care of the fatherless and widows. You think about even in the book of Job when he talks about his righteousness, he talks about how he cares for the fatherless and widows. The Psalms. Over and over again, concern for the fatherless and widows. The Proverbs, same thing. The prophets, one of the big issues that God had with his people is that they didn't care for the fatherless and the widows. And then you go forward even into the church. You realize there's only two offices in the church, elder and deacon. You realize the second one was developed in Acts 6 specifically to care for widows. So like you only have like two types of leaders in the church that are kind of official office leadership. And one of them was designed specifically to care for widows. Was it a high priority? It was a huge priority, right? You got people set aside for that to care for orphans and widows. You look in the uh, pastoral epistles and you see sections on like how to tell which widows the church is going to support. Like spends a lot of time on that kind of thing. Um, you guys remember in um, Galatians 2 when Paul meets up with James and Peter and John to talk about the gospel, make sure we agree on the gospel. And they agreed on the gospel. And then what was the last thing they said before they left each other? They only said that we should care for the poor, which we were happy to do. Gospel, poor, immediately. Huge priority, right? There is no biblical religion without visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. If you were to try to take your Bible and cut out all the parts that are about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction, it would look like Jefferson's Bible. You remember how Jefferson, he took, took the Bible and took out all the supernatural parts, took his scissors out, there was hardly anything left. There would be very little left to your Bible. This is core, guys. This is core. And what's interesting is James brings this up in a very short letter. James probably knew firsthand the afflictions of the fatherless and widows. We talked about a couple weeks ago, James was the younger brother of Jesus, most likely his father. Uh, Jesus' stepdad, Joseph, died while um, they were still kids, while at least James was still a kid. So Jesus and James' family was already poor, remember, when Jesus was born. They offered the sacrifice of the poor. And then after the virgin birth, Mary and Joseph went on to have at least six kids. So you got a poor family. you got Jesus plus six. There's seven kids in the family. And this, this was a very poor family even before Joseph died. Looks like Joseph died sometime in James' youth. And so James would have known firsthand the afflictions of fatherlessness. James would have known firsthand what it looked like for a widow to have seven kids and not have support. And I think it's important for us. Some of us have that background. Some of us don't. 
For those of us who don't, it's important for us to look at a passage like this and think, what are the afflictions of a widow? What are the afflictions of the fatherless? And then how can we visit those? And I want to kind of help you out by having a few people in our church come up and just share things they're doing like that. And well, the first one's the prots. I'm going to have you guys come up here and talk about something that you're doing. This is a really unique ministry that this is Elizabeth Pratt and Silas, her husband Matt. Um, and they have, uh, they started doing a little ministry to, uh, to women that mostly would be widows in um, memory care. And why don't you just say a little bit about that? Yeah, hi. Um, we hand deliver baby dolls to elderly women and stuffed dogs to elderly men in memory care facilities which are long-term care options for people with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other memory problems. The dolls and stuffed animals are therapeutic and helpful for calming and soothing agitated seniors. Studies have shown that these items reduce aggression, wandering, and severe agitation. Therapy dolls and dogs help them feel useful, needed, and gives them something positive to focus on. It can also ease feelings of isolation and sadness. The dolls and dogs help them stay engaged when they can no longer participate in many activities and helps them bring back memories of parenting and caring for pets. When we deliver the dogs and the dolls, it's the best. We see eyes light up, some people cry, some people thank us for remembering them. Ladies will cuddle, rock, kiss, or talk to their baby doll right away. Many seniors cannot believe that they get to pick out their own special doll or dog as a gift. One facility we went to had three community baby dolls, and the workers told us that the ladies would always fight over them. <laughs> the workers were overjoyed that um, the big need was met that each lady would now have their own baby doll. Adita, who works at Sun City Gardens and goes to Covenant Grace, said that the dolls made an incredible difference in the ladies' lives. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. And this is an idea that, um, that when you, had, you had talked to me about this. You said, hey, can you put this out to the body? And I'm like, giving dolls? And I'm like, I don't get this. I, it didn't, I didn't realize this was such a big deal. And I wrote an email to y'all. Actually, she wrote the email. I sent it out with the pictures. Nobody ever responds to my emails. Okay. When I sent this email out, people are like, that's amazing. Like people that don't even go here anymore are like, can I send money? And it was just an amazing thing that you guys are doing. Um, how can the body be a part of this? Um, ways for you to be involved include donating gently used or new soft cloth baby dolls that are 12 inches or bigger, or gently used or new stuffed animal dogs. We can also use satin ribbons, doll clothes, baby headbands or hats, baby blankets, and small size diapers. And if you don't have an actual item to donate, we can also use monetary donations to purchase items or you can um, pray with us. We always pray over the gifts we deliver as we prepare them, so you can pray alongside us that the gifts would enrich and be a blessing to the seniors. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such a, thank you very much. Um, and you know, as I was thinking about this, I was like, it's so cool that God gave you the creativity to, to do something like this. I mean, it's something that I never would have thought of, but you think, what's the affliction of a, a widow that's got Alzheimer's and dementia? It's, it's kind of, it's a lostness, it's a confusion, it's a where am I, it's a drifting in empty space. And to have this doll, to be able to all of a sudden have like an anchor, 
You know, and I've heard that Chad was talking to me about sometimes they'll give um, blankets that have little things that you can kind of fidget with, and it's kind of an anchor, but this is a more personal type thing. And so um, Elizabeth will be back there afterwards. You can talk to her and get involved in this, and uh, super cool thing. And just thinking, like, if you guys could just pray that God would give you some thoughts, creative thoughts about fatherless, widow, affliction, visit, and just... Ask the Lord to give you some vision for something like that to do. It would be super cool. Another person uh, in our body is Jeanette Chun, and she runs that organization, Birth Choice. So we didn't just like invite her to come today. She is a part of our church, and she runs Birth Choice, which is a crisis pregnancy center. You want to just come up and talk about that, Jeanette? And so what these are is I, I don't like a message that talks about orphans and widows and makes you feel kind of guilty or something and gives you no steps. That's what this is about, is you would have immediate steps to do. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me today. So we, um, Birth Choice uh, Centers is a pregnancy resource center, and if you guys will forgive me, I've had a very long schedule, so I'm a little on the tired side. I'm usually a little bit more jovial, but. Um, <laughs> but so the uh, the thing that we're really dealing with right now is a lot of expansion. We're finding that the need is so intense and so great to minister to those who have either um, already dealt with an unplanned pregnancy or are in the midst of dealing with one. Um, we have a lot in California that's coming up against us, um, especially in our school system with teaching a lot of promiscuity um, through the new sex education that we're finding that the kids are um, becoming uh, very damaged through that. And we're, we're having them in our center, having to talk to them about what they thought the school said was okay, but now it's caused them harm. And what do they do with the child? That's the result of it. Um, it's really hard what's going on in the schools uh, with that. And then the new law that has come about that Governor Newsom signed that by 2023 all universities and state colleges have to be of, um, able to give the abortion pill on demand to all students that are in their universities and state colleges. And that's going to actually trickle down to um, the high schools, they hope, by 2025. So we have a lot that we're doing. There's a lot of hope to be had. Um, we, we know that the, the innocent are near to God's heart, and we want to be able to reach out to the, the, you know, the youth and the young women. We have a, a, a larger epidemic right now of um, mothers who've already had two and three children coming to our center, thinking that they can't afford to have another child because there's a specific standard of living that like social media or where the world is telling them that they must have or a certain amount of money to have a multiple children. And um, they're kind of shocked to realize that they don't have to have all of that to have another kid. This blows our mind, but the fathers are seeming to be absent from the picture because they, they have been told that it's a woman's choice then they don't really have an option in this. And so um, we're gonna be getting a men's group actually together. It's our next journey is getting a men's group together to start ministering to the needs of men and speak truth. But we also speak truth to the women on a daily basis. Um, we have our, our centers that are available. I can tell you more about that. But we definitely need people who will come alongside and give of their time. This is a desperate need in the lives of women and men. And uh, we need volunteers, obviously, to be trained as advocates. Um, we have our mobile unit that we're looking for advocates for. We need prayer warriors. You guys, you don't even understand the prayer that we need. It's incredible how much prayer we need. So if you are a prayer warrior, please sign up to pray for us. Um, uh, monetary, obviously, we always need monetary. But this is a pretty serious issue, and we believe that it's going to be the number one mental health crisis in our world in the next five to ten years that we're going to be dealing with. So we're trying to get prepared. Prepared. Thank you so much. Um, and she's got a... 
And Jeanette has a great table set up back here with a whole bunch of resources and stuff that, you know, might spark some, some thoughts and some ways to get involved too. So afterwards, I want to make sure we have plenty of time for that. And guys, it, it's amazing, actually, as I was thinking about your ministry, I, I always had thought about it's more to the fatherless, the, the children, um, but also to the mothers. It's, it's usually to the mothers. Those, and um, it, we have a rich history of this, guys, as Christians. You realize in the Roman Empire in the first few centuries of the church, it was common for Romans to leave infants out in trash piles. You know, you'd have an infant and didn't want it or something wrong with the infant or whatever. Leave them out in trash piles and let them die of exposure. And you, you hear people like Seneca and big-name philosophers talking about, like, when you should do this and how you should do it and stuff like that. It was very common in the culture, even in the elites. And Christians were known in those first few centuries as those that would go out to the trash piles, get these infants, and actually adopt them. And so we have a rich history of this. This, this isn't a modern-type care. This is something that Christians have always done. And so, um, you yeah, know, please get a part of that. Um, for those of you who are parents, um, we have a great way for you to teach your kids um, to visit or, uh, widows in their affliction. It's at Sun City Gardens. So let me have Elisa come up, talk about that. Elisa has been serving at Sun City Gardens on Wednesday nights for years now. And um, it's about 10 miles away from here. And you guys have an opportunity to get involved in this, too. Enjoy. Good morning. <laughs> I think I've been up here before and know most of you, um, but those of you that are new to our church family, just a couple of minutes, um, I do visit Sun City Gardens every Wednesday, and also we do fun things like the um, flyers that are on your chair. So several times a year, the community, our family, will actually go to the facility and do things like this. Um, on the 30th, we're doing trick-or-treating. So we provide the candy. Um, but I cannot tell you how much the uh, residents there love seeing all of the kids come to the doors. Some of them have not seen children or done that um, activity for years. They're very isolated. So it brings them so much joy to see the kids come and, and dressed up. It's, it's a really, it's a big blessing for the facility. So I think just two, two points I was hoping to make Do it. this morning is... Um, it's not complicated. The people that we visit there are lonely. They're isolated. Um, the, the elderly sometimes in our communities are very invisible and forgotten. And especially in this ministry, we go to the assisted living, which means they're not independent. They, they have some medical affliction or some reason why they can't get out and take care of themselves. So a good percentage of the time, the only socialization that they get is um, when they go maybe for a meal or if there's an activity there, but it's really, really limited. And a good majority of them have no family. Um, so they don't get that affection. They don't get the hugs. Um, I was telling Eric that I kind of feel like some of them are orphans. Because when we get older, we kind of become like children again. And we need people to help us with, our, with, with everything. And if we don't have family, then it's kind of like an orphan to me, right? Mm -hmm. So what I do is I go and I just kind of visit, love, hug, pray. We're so lucky in our church community that if any of us is going through anything, and we all go through life, we have each other. We call can you pray with me at the back? Can you, you know, I'm having a health problem. I'm having a family problem. I'm having money problems. 
um, I'm having mental problems, whatever it is, and we pray with each other. They don't have anybody to pray with them. So um, that's what we do a lot of, is we pray together. And, it, and it's, it's, it doesn't have to be every week. If anybody wants to come, anytime God opens the door, please feel free. Text me. I have a couple of hours free. I'd like to come and just check it out. Please feel free to come. They love it. And they love the littles. Mm -hmm. Like, they will ignore the adult if a little person walks in. So that tells you you don't have to be sophisticated. You just have to be able to give love. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. So that would be a great way for you guys to actually help your kids practice this passage is to just go there. I mean, in this, this Wednesday, it would be real easy. Um, bring your kids in their costumes. And uh, they, what they do is they, in all their rooms, they'll just be set up in the doorway. And so we just go door to door, and then some are in wheelchairs, some are put out in their chairs, and um, they love it. We go caroling um, Christmas time. That was super fun. Uh, we're not all great singers, but they were very sympathetic to the whole thing. And so, and then every Wednesday, I mean, any Wednesday you want, you go there, especially you guys with kids to come and just cruise along is hugely helpful. You don't even have to do the full two hours. Just come for an hour. It's awesome. I've done it with Ellie. She loves it. Um, they love her. Um, it's been great to watch Elisa's develop in this ministry because, you know, when she first came, you know, she wasn't really sure what to share scripturally. And then it was only a few months in that she started sharing passages with them and praying with them. It's just an awesome, awesome ministry. We already heard from Holly. She's got this ministry in Girls House of Refuge. They take in girls who are either trafficked or at risk for trafficking. She gives them a home. She gives them family. Um, you were saying on that Tuesday, it was so funny, you said something like, they call me mom. And she said, you said something like, not the best choice probably, but <laughs> and, uh, she is a great choice though. But it's, it's family, uh, they're in the church, they're getting discipleship every single day, they get life skills taught to them, school, job training, all that kind of thing. And it, I was thinking about your ministry, I was thinking it's such a cool illustration even of the church itself, because we're a family of spiritual orphans that God has brought together, and he's made us a family, a new family, a new home. And so um, what would be the action steps? After this message, if you guys, after we do worship, if you guys go back, connect with all these people back there, make sure you connect with them. Holly's going to be out of here in just a couple of days. She's going to be out. So we want to connect with everybody that's back there. Also pray. Pray that God would open your eyes to the fatherless and widows, even in your extended family, okay? Like the, 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 the widows that are in our extended family are our responsibility. We start there. Extended family are there people that are, have a lot of these things, loneliness and stuff like that, teaching our kids to care for the widows in our family. Then you think in the church. We have at least four or five widows in our church. Um, you think about uh, your neighborhood, you know, think about your neighborhood. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know what's going on on that street? Is there somebody there that is either fatherless or a widow? And then we think beyond. And so, and when you think of fatherlessness, don't just think of fatherlessness in the physical sense even. There's, there's people that are spiritually fatherless. There's a really cool thing going on in, in the New Testament with Paul and Timothy, right? Where he says, he's my son. He became his son, that God made us a family. And Timothy, though he had a dad that wasn't a believer, became his uh, spiritual son. He was a spiritual father to him. And so ask God to really show you the needs that are right around you, and then ask God to help you to see the affliction. The text talks about an affliction. And then ask God to show you how to visit creatively. 
Because one thing that's really encouraged me as I was putting this message together is I'm thinking time, and I'm thinking like, there's so much ministry already happening in our body and through Holly and you guys that it's hard to even plan a service like this that, that doesn't go, go long, right? And, and that's a real evidence of grace among you. I was just thinking like, that's a work that God is really doing among us. If this is pure and undefiled religion, and it's happening to a large degree in our body, that is a huge evidence, and it can happen more. Any of you guys could start a ministry, right? The Parats were just like, let's do this. And you, hey, we're doing this thing. And I'm like, that's great. That wasn't planned. You know, Elisa just started doing this, right? Holly just did this. You know what I mean? This is something that you could do. You don't have to be deputized. We don't have to give you a badge. We don't have to give you a special hat. You gather people together and do something. I was thinking about, what about adoption? Adoption is something that could really grow in our body. I mean, we got families like crazy. Why not adopt? Why not, you know, our body, if somebody wanted to think of like, how do we collect money to help with the expenses of adoption or the process of adoption? That'd be a great area for us to expand in. And, and you who are visiting might wonder like, what stirs this up? Like what stirs up a Holly or Elizabeth or an Elisa or a Jeanette? Like what stirs this up and what keeps it going? Because there's all kinds of adversity. The, 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 the enemy doesn't want you to do these kinds of things, right? And so there's going to be all sorts of adversity. What keeps us going? And what keeps us going, guys, is right in the middle of this verse. God the Father. This is what our Father's like. We're like this because our God is like this. Our God is absolutely holy and yet pours himself out to help the fatherless and widows. Psalm 68.5 brings it together beautifully. Take a look at that passage. Psalm 68.5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. Isn't that beautiful? You see that holiness of God in there? You see that he's in his holy habitation? God is perfectly holy. Hebrews 7 says that he's holy, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted in the heavens. He's in his holy habitation, right? He's uncontaminated, unstained by the world. And yet, he is ultimately helpful. And we see that in that passage. He's a father of the fatherless, protector of widows. Guys, this is who God is. If you're here this morning, you don't know God, and you want to know something about God, this passage is, this is who God is. This isn't just something he occasionally does. Like, this is his identity. This is who he is. And that's why to know him, as James would say, is to take part in what he takes part in. The God of the Bible is a God who dwells in holy, unapproachable light and yet enters the world to help the afflicted. And we see that most powerfully where? In the coming of Jesus Christ, right? Because we were all spiritually fatherless and destitute. We were all helpless. We were all helpless to save ourselves. And our helplessness wasn't innocent. We weren't innocent helpless people. We were sinners who were helpless. Ephesians 2 says that, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in what? In the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passion of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature what? Children of wrath, like the rest of them. And then the next verse says, but God, which is amazing. God, the Father, sent his Son from their holy habitation, right, to, so that God the Father could be the Father of the fatherless to you, to us. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because God chose to adopt you. It wasn't because you decided to adopt God. It might have looked like that, but that's not what was going on. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because God chose to adopt you. You guys realize that's the way adoption works, right? It's the parent's initiation. God himself adopted you. But the price of your adoption was great. 
First, your sin had to be paid for. The debt of your sin had to be paid for. And so the Father sent his Son from their holy habitation. Jesus came. He lives the, the, the perfect life that a true child of God should. And then Jesus dies in your place. He dies in your place abandoned. He dies in your place fatherless. Remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's different about the way Jesus is talking on the cross? He always used to say, Father. He didn't see his father on the cross, right? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died in a fatherless state, forsaken for your sin. And then three days later, he rose and he ascended. And you know why? So that we can know that your adoption has been finalized. Right? The resurrection and the ascension show that your adoption is finalized. And if you're a Christian today, guys, you've been adopted as God's child. And guys, adoption is the greatest gift of the gospel because forgiveness is great, uh, redemption is great, new life is great, all that stuff's great, but it's all ultimately what? So you can have God as your father. God is the greatest gift of the gospel, and adoption is the greatest gift of the gospel. You have a father who has God, who has the same feelings for you that he has for Jesus' son. And if you're in a place of sin or rebellion towards God, I think that's something you need to hear. That your father has the same feelings for you that he has for his son Jesus. In adoption, the father gave you Jesus' seat at the family dinner table. He gave you his place in the family of God. Jesus gave you his direct access to the father's heart. You have Jesus' inheritance you were actually, when you were adopted, you weren't given a new relationship with God. You were given Jesus' relationship with God so that you have direct access to the Father's heart. You have his inheritance. You have um, all of the Father's affections are directed towards you. Guys, the gospel is the good news that in Christ, God the Father gives you all the love that's deserved by Jesus because you're in Jesus. If you're saved, you're in Jesus. And if you're this, here this morning and you don't have that, James, uh, John 1 says this, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God the Father is turning orphans into sons and daughters every day. And he can be one of them today. Just call out to him. He's the father of the fatherless, protector of widows. In his holy habitation, God settles the solitary in a home. And that home is the church. And we visit orphans and widows because God the Father visited us in our affliction, right? And so as we take the Lord's Supper, this is our weekly reminder, guys, from the Father that we're welcome at his table. We're welcome in his home. We're part of his family. That's how you get to eat at God's dinner table, right? You're part of his family. So as we come here, and I don't know what kind of week you had, but as you come here, whether you got caught up in some sort of sin, this is the time to drop those things. This is the time to turn from your sin and return to God the Father. Any of those sins you may have carried, to turn away from those and receive his forgiveness and embrace. And if that's your hope this morning, and only if that's your hope, that you've been adopted by the Father through the Son, then come take the bread and the cup. This is his new covenant pledge to us, that our sins are removed, that our lives are made new, and then he receives us as his own kids. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Be our companion on the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken our hope that we may know you as you are revealed in the scripture and in the breaking of this bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.